The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. I go to the star of Breaking Big Blue with Jordan Runon. It's Jordan Runon right here on 98.7 ESPN. Hey, Jordan. I like that star. I mean, granted, I'm the only person that's on it and hosted, but uh, <laughs> I do. I like that description, though. I'll take it. Listen, your name is in the title. You're the star of the show. <laughs> okay. I, Remember that contractually. Fault, right, Larry? Remember that contractually, my friend. Your name is in the title. Yeah, You're the star them. of the hey, show. Hey, yo, I'm the star of the show, guys. So you That's pay, it. I, need, I deserve to be paid more money. It's, a, it's, it's about the dollars. There's no question about it. There it's about go. the dollars. Hey, Jordan, listen. Uh, let's start with the trade rumors. What a lot of stuff about uh, Kadarius Tony going around. Uh, a, how... Is it like they're unhappy with him, or is it a situation of doing your due diligence at this time of the season just to see what's available to make possibly package to move up or down in the draft? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think it's it's a combination of what you just said. Uh, the fact that Joe Shane, since he started and taken over, has been pretty adamant about being one term you used at first was open for business. Right, he'd be willing to talk or listen to anything. So I think they're kind of exploring all their options, and it didn't help that Kadarius Tony hasn't showed up to, uh, you know, work and get the playbook. And now that might change very soon, but uh, still, I, I think there is certainly some concern there after everything that kind of unfolded. This is the kind of guy when you talk about this Giants organization, we saw it with like Odell. He's a different kind of, of you know, strange cat. Uh, you know, beats to his own drum. Like Giants don't do well with players like that. That's just ownership. It, it makes them jittery, you know, when they have players like that. And I think that's the case here. So hey, let's see what you know what the options are. And one thing that kind of crossed my mind is hey, if their goal is to get a future first round pick, you know, move back in the first round at seven and try to get a 22-23 first-rounder, and this is like the sweetener that they're going to have to throw into a deal to make it happen, it might be it's, – it's probably you know it's probably worth it for the organization in the long term. You need a contingency plan at that quarterback position. Mm-hmm. And uh, if it takes Kadarius Tony, are we really – are you really against it? No, not at all. Even though he, he – yeah which is usually the case, right, Jordan? He showed flashes of brilliance when he was out there. You could see how he could be a guy, a playmaker, a guy who could, you know, make some plays for you and have speed and, you know, do some things. But, you know, like I always tell my audience, right, I know it's volunteer, it's voluntary workouts, mm-hmm. but you really should be there, <laughs> especially when it's a new head coach well, and when a new front when, office. When you're young, <laughs> when you're young and you have a new playbook and, you know, you could use the time with the quarterback and you didn't play much your your first year, it just makes sense for you to be there. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, there's a lot of benefits for him to be there. Even let's not forget, Larry, he held out from. Oh, no, I shouldn't say held out because it's voluntary, but he elected not to attend uh, last year's spring activities. And one of the reasons it was brought up was his contract wasn't signed. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Larry, they signed waivers. Guys have been going for years and years and years. There's a huge benefit for a rookie to show up and learn and work, and, and you know, so then you don't have to do it in the summer. And guess what? He came back in the summer, got hurt, 
was injured and just behind it seemingly the whole time. So it would seem to be even more motivation for him to be there right now. No question about it. All right, Jordan, first round, fifth pick, mm-hmm. five and seven. Are you, what, what are the Giants, what do you think the Giants are going to do? Are they doing O-line? Are they doing D-line? What are they doing? Are they doing receiver, secondary? What, what, what's your thought? What, what's your I guess? I think they would really, really like to get an offensive lineman. But, I mean, I, I guess it kind of depends how the board plays out, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? What if, uh, you know, the scenario goes, the Giants' top two offensive linemen are both gone by pick five. I think that'll change the situation, no? Yeah. So, uh, two names that I would really watch are Evan Neal, the offensive tackle from Alabama. He, he's the first name that I would keep an eye on. If he can make it to number five, I'd be really surprised if he wasn't the Giants pick. Uh, Sauce Gardner, another guy, really uh, high on a lot of people's lists. I know there's people in the Giants organization that really like him. Uh, the five, maybe at five, depending on how the board falls, but you know, seven definitely a possibility as well. Because Carolina drafted, they're number six right now, right? They need an offensive tackle. They drafted a cornerback in the first round last year. It's doubtful that if Carolina stays there, they're going to draft a cornerback. So if you're the Giants, it's almost like, why would you take Sauce Gardner at five if he's still there, when the likelihood is he'll still be there at seven. So those are two names I would uh, that I'm really, really keeping my eye on. I think the offensive line, though, showed some improvement last year, Jordan. Uh, is this just trying to continue the process of making sure you add depth at, at a position where, you know, you, you really need to have depth and just to tighten up some things in the offensive line? Well, I mean, Nate Solder was starting at right tackle. Well, I said showed uh, some Perry. improvement. I didn't say they were great. <laughs> well, I'm saying Matt, Matt Perry tore his knee uh, late in the season, so they're kind of what are we doing at right tackle right now? Yeah, yeah. You know, you. I mean, that's that's kind of the situation. There. They really need a guy there. And the reality with that in their offensive line is, um, you know, even the guys they picked up this offseason, you know, John Feliciano, he's going to play center. Uh, Mark Lewinsky, he's, he's here for a few years. But, like, who's guaranteed to be here after this year? You know, like, they don't have – the only one long-term that they really have there – uh, seems to be left tackle Andrew Thomas, right guard Mark Lewinsky. That leaves three other spots where the future is in doubt. So, I mean, this team just needs offensive linemen. They need multiple offensive linemen. Right? Well, this is the draft to get them. <laughs> this is the draft to get them. If, if you can get them, this is this is the yeah. one, this is the way to try to get try to build your offense up. Take me on the other side of the of the ball, Jordan. And we're talking with Jordan Ronald. Let me just say something real quick. You know, yeah. you know who's going to be very interesting? That the Jets with that four pick. Mm-hmm. Whether they, you know, take an offensive lineman is huge for the Giants. And that's going to be a big part of it right there. Because if number three goes, if the third pick, the Texans decide, okay, we're going to take Evan Neal, and then the fourth pick, the Jets decide they're going to take Iki Iquanu, you know, changes this might might change the situation for the Giants. So the Jets are a big pick for the Giants here. Uh, I, I just I don't know. We're talking to Samini in a couple of minutes. My, my gut feeling would be that they would probably go 
D lineman, like pass rusher, I would think. I don't know, but I would think they would be leaning towards because they they did a bunch of Probably. free agents, you know, offensive line to tighten their situation up. I think they might if they – I'm not saying they won't choose an offensive lineman. They might go second round. But I don't know that they'll do it at four. Larry, I agree with you. And I think the likelihood is they take a defensive lineman, edge rusher, pass rusher kind of guy with four. But – the word on the street is that there are people in that organization that are very high on Aquanu. Mm-hmm. And then if he's there at four, it could be a discussion to be had. So that's the one I'm, you know, that I think if you're the Giants, you're sitting there saying, you know, how about Houston kind of passes on that offensive lineman? Let the Giants, I mean, let the Jets go edge rusher, and then we can get our top pick of offensive line. That's the Giants, you know, gold situation. That's their, you know, ideal world right there if they get that first choice of offensive tackle. Jordan, what do you think uh, defensively? What what are the Giants looking for other than you mentioned Sauce Gardner, but what else are they looking for? They're looking for a little help for the big cat to get a password, everything. <laughs> <laughs> Similar situations, both local teams, the aren't they? <laughs> let, let me let me yeah, let me say this. So Joe Shane, usually you, you could you talk to stuff. This is GM speak, you know, it's not really true. Joe Shane said something at the uh, owners meetings that kind of stuck with me. And he and he, he kind of said it chuckling because it's it's true. He said, "Look, we have enough needs that best player available kind of you know re- really is ac- accurate for us. They're, they're, we're really in that situation, and I think it's true in a way because tell me what are the the premium positions in the NFL in this draft in any draft, right? It's quarterback, offensive tackle, edge rusher." cornerback, and now I think you could probably put wide receiver in with the way the league is going. The Giants, you can make the argument, have a need at pretty much every one of those positions. Except maybe wide receiver. They're kind of invested there. <laughs> I mean, you can make that quarterback argument, right? It just doesn't have to be the right quarterback draft. Uh, they have needs at all those positions. So that's why there's more scenarios here, I think, that can unfold in, in most seasons that you would look at and say, well, yeah, you know, they need to go in this direction. So cornerback certainly fits. Edge rusher certainly fits. Those are two premium positions, and the draft is pretty strong at the top with those guys. You know, a lot of the names we hear, edge rusher, I mean, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, Trayvon Walker, um, Kayvon Thibodeau, and Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson, by the way, a name you should keep your eye out for at mm-hmm. number seven. Yeah. You know, an edge rusher – Four edge rushers are going to go in the top 10 or 12, easy. Mm-hmm. So if the Giants came away with one, wouldn't be surprised at all. Jordan, and, and I wasn't surprised to hear. I was waiting to see who was going to be the first person to make the make the comment. Uh, Kenny Galladay had some nice things to say about the new coaching staff, about how great it is, breath of fresh air. Uh, you know, and, and I understand you always want to embrace the new, you know, the new staff, but are there a lot of players who are happy to see that the the previous regime is out the door? Um, I think it's just a different approach. Uh, it's certainly, uh, they have very different personalities. Uh, Joe Judge and and uh, Brian Dable. And Joe Judge could be hard on guys, so there's definitely some people that weren't thrilled. And I think part of what you hear and you heard Kenny Galladay say, and he. You know, in that wide receiver room. If there was one room, I think, where 
Joe Judge's ways weren't fully, I shouldn't say embraced, but kind of graded on guys, it was that wide receiver room. Because at times they felt that they were overworked in practice. And I think that was kind of in their heads some of the reasons for all these injuries that occurred there. And, like, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily what happened. I mean, Kadarius Tony didn't show up in the spring and then got injured, right? I mean, Sterling Shepard kind of – I mean, he had a, just a terrible year with injuries. I mean, Kenny Galladay just – you know, they, he also wasn't – most of these guys weren't there for the spring last year. And then he – hurt his hamstring in training camp. So uh, I don't know how much that was true because during the season, especially in the first half of the season, I know Joe judge really didn't work them hard. He didn't practice them hard at all because he, he, they were so banged up. So, but when things go wrong, people want to make, find a reason. And at least that room, uh, whether it's true or not, I, that was something you definitely heard out of that wide receiver room was that, Hey, we got overworked. That's why there was so many injuries. Jordan, uh, this is a big year for two Giants, and I'll leave you with this. This is a big year for two Giants. Obviously, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones. And Saquon Barkley. And so, uh, you know, and I hear hear the reports from Saquon, I can't wait to go. I want to show people. I want to prove what I can do. Nobody – people understand that he was – he just can't stay healthy, Jordan. That's the issue. People know he he has talent. People know he's he's a guy mm-hmm. that can run the football. It's about being available, and it's the same thing with Daniel Jones. They're both in, really in the same spot. At this point, with those two guys, it's all talk. Like we got to see it, and you know we're we're too far along to be like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's we, he says it, it's going to happen. No, no, no. At this point, we need to see it, right? Um, there's there's reasons that hasn't panned out for both of them for. Uh, both of them injuries have contributed to that. Saquon probably more so. I mean, Saquon, the offensive line, contributes to that also. But even when he was on the field, he didn't play particularly well. Daniel Daniel Jones, he hasn't elevated other people. We haven't seen that yet. Now there's reasons for that too. You know, the the, the supporting cast around him, the offensive line he played behind last year. But, you know, until we see it and see it consistently, you know, I mean – Got it. Their their careers, Giants' careers, are both certainly in jeopardy. It's crazy, and that means you could be looking for another quarterback after this year's in next year's draft. Well, that's why you want that extra first round pick. You got that contingency plan for next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Eagles already have it, right? They're already set up for that. Uh, the Giants would love to be in that boat too. Like, and then if it works out, and Daniel Jones plays great and you think he's your quarterback and then you have an extra first round pick, that's a bonus. That's fine. You know, but you don't want to be left uh, empty handed at quarterback. That's, that's the worst position to be stuck, right? Yeah, that's you, for sure. Not knowing. You better <laughs> Google out of your way to figure that out. Yeah. You got to know. Jets, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. The, the Jets have been stuck there for uh, your enti- our entire lifetime, Larry. Ever, ever. Since Joe Namath, basically. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Still searching, still searching. Well, <laughs> we're not searching for you. We know where you'll be. You'll be hanging out, giving us all the information about the draft. Uh, get some sleep now for the next couple of days because I know starting Wednesday there will be no sleep for Jordan, although there will be a lot of information on Breaking Big Blue with starring 
Jordan Runon. Jordan, thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend. We'll talk down the road. Larry, you got it. You keep, you keep starring at night and owning this <laughs> slot too, okay? I will indeed. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Rich Samini, commander of the flight deck, who gives you all the information, what's going on with uh, the New York Jets. Rich, thanks for a couple of minutes. Thanks for being flexible in your schedule. The baseball game just plays havoc with the show. Good to talk to you, my friend. Uh, that's what happens with damn baseball games. Uh, no, I appreciate it, Larry. No problem at all. I'm, I'm happy to be with you. All right, Rich, I started with your colleague Jordan on the Kadarius Tony trades. So I'm going to start with you with the rumors about Debo Samuel. And Rich, is it, is it in your opinion and from what you've been able to garner through your reporting, is it more realistic than Tyreek Hill? Um, you know, it's kind of a different situation there. I think this is uh, more acrimonious than the Tyreek Hill situation. And it's almost like the 49ers are facing an ultimatum here because we have the draft coming up, which is essentially a deadline for them to make a decision on whether to grant this player his his freedom, so to speak. He wants out of there in, in a really bad way. So, uh, you know, is it more realistic than Tyreek Hill? I uh, it's it's hard to say. I do think that if Samuel gets traded, I would say the Jets would be a likely destination if he gets traded. But that's such a question at this point. That from my reporting, I think that you know the Jets were under the impression as of a couple of days ago that the the player was not going to get traded. You know, but that could be posturing too. That could be the 49ers just trying to up the price. And there's a lot of posturing going on right now. Rich, generally speaking. Are you noticing more and more players trying to exercise their uh, pressure or leve- you know, whatever, uh, whatever they have as far as uh, you know, abilities to try to change their role and change their places in the National Football League than, than previous years? It just seems to be a little more, little more it's done, happening a little more often than I remember before. Absolutely. Uh, player empowerment in the NFL is, is at an all-time high, and it used to be just with the quarterbacks having that leverage but now we're seeing at other positions hey look it happened locally in new york two years ago with jamal adams mm-hmm. you know he essentially uh, you know he did uh demand a trade now his timing was a little off because he demanded that trade in june it was after the draft and the jets you know they tried to fix it you know and it wasn't until late july about a month later that they ended up trading him and they really didn't you know, reap the benefits of that until the following spring with, the, with the, you know, getting the draft picks. And, and they're going to reap those benefits again on Thursday because they have the 10th pick in the draft from the Seattle trade. But, uh, yeah, there's no doubt that player empowerment is at, a, is at a high, you know, receivers, quarterbacks being able to dictate what they want to do. I, I remember, you know, when Bill Parcells was a coach and if there was a player who was unhappy – you know, Parcells was was the ruler, and he said, "Well, if he doesn't want to play, I'll just make him sit out." And but that has changed now. You know, the, that is no longer the way of the NFL because there's so much money at stake, and so players have a lot more power. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. This is a this is a sport I never thought would go that way, Rich, because of you know how con- contracts have been and so on and so forth. But it is a change. There's no question about that. Well, speaking of the draft, Rich, I, I, I would think that this is not going to be the type of draft where with the first two picks, the Jets would take safeties back-to-back. 
as they did a couple of years ago. So what, 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 what are you hearing? What, what do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's D lineman uh, with four? And if they keep their number 10 pick, it would be uh, offense or offensive lineman receiver. You know, it's clear that kind of clear Joe Douglas kind of wants a veteran receiver, but if he doesn't get one, what do you think they'll do at 10? Yeah, I'm inclined to say it's going to go uh, probably edge rusher and wide receiver. Uh, that's, you know, based on the thought that there would be no Debo Samuel trade. I think they'd use that 10th pick on a receiver. And then at four, it, it's so hard to project. You know, even the Jets are they're going through all these different permutations of what could happen with the three picks ahead of them. And we don't even know for sure what Jacksonville's going to do. I mean, we think they're going to take Aiden Hutchinson, but it's not nearly as certain as it would be in past years with the number one pick. So uh, I, I think if one of those edge players is there, either, you know, if Trayvon Walker's there at four, I think the Jets would like that. If uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is there at four, I think the Jets would like that. Now, there is a chance that edge rushers could go one, two, and three. And then if you're the Jets at four, what do you do then? Could they go offensive line? I, I think, you know, uh, Iki Aquanu is a possibility. But I, I think in that scenario, you know, I think Sauce Gardner enters the equation there. Mm-hmm. So very interesting situation at four. And then at 10, you know, they would – I think they would go wide receiver. My hunch says Garrett Wilson, if he's still on the board. But, uh, you know, uh, mostly a hunch on that one. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Ritz Amini is my guest. You're listening to the Larry Hardesty Show here on 98.7 ESPN. Rich, does Makai Becton's situation influence what the Jets will do as far as an offensive lineman in the draft, or are they just going to go for depth anyway? Yeah, I mean, the Becton situation is interesting. Um, if they do pick a lineman at four, either a Quanu or, or an Emin Neal, I think they'll probably spin it as, well, he was the best player available. But I, I think if you make that kind of investment for the third straight year, taking an offensive lineman in the first round, I think it would tell us that they do have some questions about Becton and his ability to get back. So, uh, you know, he's coming off a knee injury, he missed the entire year because of that surgery. You know, he's working his way back into shape. He's, he's not there yet. And uh, George Fant was in the last year of his contract. He, too, had a knee procedure this offseason, not, not nearly as serious as what Mackay had last year. So, uh, you know, Joe Douglas, he's, he's hard to figure because he will often go best player, even though it seems like they have some depth at that position. But to me, if they go O-line, it, it's telling us something there that something is not adding up with Mackay Becton. Yeah, I would think so. Um Lawson coming back is are they looking well obviously they need the pass rusher because Rich I don't have to tell you as long as you've been covering the team the line is yeah. always John Abraham I had somebody tell me they haven't had one since Mark Gaston though but <laughs> but uh, with, with Carl Lawson coming back is this added depth or is this another situation of saying listen we don't we, we need as many people rushing the passer as possible with you know the with the way we're quarterback and receiver plays in the National Football League, and it gives us time to rebuild our secondary as well. Yeah, it's interesting. 
because, you know, we've been writing and saying for a long time that they need an edge rusher. I mentioned that to someone in the league that I was talking to the other day, and they said, you mean they're going to take an edge rusher after paying Carl Lawson all that money last year and paying JFM, you know, a $12 million a year contract last year? And I said, yeah, I think, I think so. <laughs> and And so – it is a little unusual because when you pay $15 million a year for a defensive end like they did Lawson and you pay $12 million a year for another defensive end, a JFM, usually you don't go out in the draft and draft a guy fourth overall. So, But I think it's a little bit different with Robert Sala because he likes so many defensive linemen. You know, we've seen it. He plays eight guys every mm-hmm. game. And, you know, they'll, they'll substitute four for four. I mean, wholesale substitutions. So he likes those edge guys. And he likes to have a good rotation going. Um, I don't know if me, if I draft a guy four, I want him to be more than a rotational guy. I want him to be, I want him to be a star. So it, it is very interesting how much they've invested there, but I do think they will invest some more. All right, Rich, I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball. Is this the draft where in the second round, the Jets hit somebody that actually gets a second contract on the team? <laughs> It's amazing, isn't it, Larry? I mean, uh, it's just, uh, when's the last time they had a guy? I mean, Marcus May, you know, I don't know if you'd call it a second contract. He he ended up playing a year on a franchise tag. Um, but the, the last guy, I'd have to look it up. I think the last guy from the second round who ended up getting a multi-year deal on a second contract might be David Harris. Wow. When he was drafted in 2007. They've, they've just been... Well, this whole franchise has been cursed when it comes to second-round picks. The last second-round pick to make the Pro Bowl on offense or defense, want to take a guess? You just mentioned his name a short time ago. Who was it? It was Mark Gastineau. Oh, wow. Mark Gastineau. Wow. Yeah, and he was drafted in, what was it, like 79? or or (laughs) I think it was 78 or 79. Yeah. So – I mean, this, they just have no luck with second-round picks. Now, Elijah Moore is, is, looks pretty promising. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and uh, hey, look, Marcus May looked pretty promising for a while, and then things went off the rails for him, so you never know. But they have two second-round picks as we speak right now. I think safety is a very strong possibility with one of those picks. And um, law of averages says they got to hit on one of them. Absolutely. It's, 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 it's time. It's time. Uh, last thing, Rich. How big a draft is this for Joe Douglas? I mean, I know he, what he inherited. I understand that. McCagden, so on and so forth. But, I mean, let's face it, Rich, the, this is going to be year, what, three, four in his regime? And the wins are not exactly turning around. And some of the free agent moves have not really worked out. Yeah, I, I was talking about this on my podcast the other day, and I said this is the most important draft they've had in a long time it, it won't be their most important draft pick because that was last year with Zach Wilson that's that's the most important draft pick that Joe Douglas will ever make as the GM of the Jets but this year's draft as a whole is is just massive for him this is what he's been saving for you know it's like he's been saving for this rainy day for two years by trading players like Jamal Adams and Sam Darnold, and he got great value on those trades. Uh, we have to be honest, great mm-hmm, value. Mm-hmm. And he's just been kind of stashing away that stuff, you know, for a rainy day. Well, now's the rainy day, and he's, you know, he's breaking into that piggy bank right now, and they have 
nine draft picks. They have uh, four of the top 38. This is this is the draft that Jet fans will look back on, you know, five or six years from now, if they're a playoff team and say that's the draft where it turned everything around. You know, it has to be that watershed draft because if they miss, if they just go 50-50 on their picks, you know, they hit, you know, miss, hit, hit, miss, then it's not going to be good enough. He's really got to crush this draft. Well, we'll follow your reporting, Rich, as you always do. A great job. Uh, get some sleep, as I told your colleague Jordan Runon, because you, as of Wednesday, you'll be wide awake 24 hours a day. <laughs> well, we'll sleep in May, and we'll, uh, we'll worry about the draft now. <laughs> that sounds good. He's the commander of All the right, flight Larry, deck. Thanks. He's Rich Samini. Keep watching him and reading him on our, on our website, ESPN.com. Thanks, Rich. Dennis is in South Jersey. Hey, Dennis, what's happening, my friend? Hey, Larry, how you doing? Great. Hey, listen, I haven't talked to you in a while. You know, I'm a big Jets fan. I, mm-hmm. you know, it's been a while since we touched base. But there's a couple of topics I want to touch on base with you on. Number one, let's stick with the draft. I agree with you. I would have no problem coming out of the first two picks if they kept both of those picks, coming out with an O and a D lineman. Or even going an O lineman and moving down and getting a wide receiver and then concentrating on the second round on defense, like another pass rusher, or a secondary guy like a, like a, like a safety. I agree with you. You can't have enough linemen. You can't. And and Joe Douglas preaches that football games are won by the offensive defensive line. I do agree with you. And they're going to get a crack at one of these good offensive linemen. They're going to be sitting right there for them. I don't want sauce. I don't want the DB at the top. I don't want none of that. And uh, I would have no problem taking an offensive lineman at four. Now there's going to be Jeff fans that tell me, no, you're crazy. Why don't we just wait to 10? And if somebody, you know, and, and if any of the good pass rushes are gone, but then let's get one in the second. He rotates the D line anyway. So there's going to be good D linemen in the second round if you're going to rotate them. And, and they need a wide receiver. I do not want to invest draft choices in Debo. I don't want to do it. We need too much, Larry. This team needs too much. And one other point, mm-hmm. okay, and I'll let you kind of fill my, uh, answer my questions. You know, you sit there and, you know, you're hard on Joe Douglas and you come down. I'm an, and I, I understand the rebuild can take it forever. What's your number of wins? I'm putting you on the spot right now, Larry. What's your number of wins that the Jets have this year that you think is a successful year? Seven at least. Okay. So if I call Larry Hardesty seven. up. Okay. I call Larry, Larry Hardesty up. They have a solid draft. They win seven, and they even get lucky and win eight. Are you happy with that? Y- yes, if I'm if they're in other games as well, because I understand that then they're not going to be as talented as some of the teams. And I know how, and you and I both know, Dennis, how the AFC has become right now. It's become I know very I talented. Know. This division's and no joke. It's no. This is no a joke tough conference. Either. This is a tough conference. Yeah. So if they give me seven, eight wins and they're in games, I agree. I'm satisfied. I'm good. I, I, if I'm a Jet I fan, I'm ecstatic. One, I am. I agree with you. At least one on the same page. Now, what about my draft theory? How do you like that? Uh, I understand what you're saying because you're kind of like me, Dennis, and thanks for the phone call. You're like me in the sense of I love building, I love building through the in, from, the, from the line back. That's, I'm, I'm an old-time guy. I like building from the line back. Because here's what I know. If I can give my quarterback time to throw and run the football with a great offensive line, and I also, on the other side, with a really good defensive line, 
pressure the opposing quarterback that he doesn't have time to sit back and pick his receivers, I'm good. I know I'm going to win my share of games. I'm going to be in every game if I can do that. I know that. And so if if I'm in the position where I'm looking at improving my offensive line and also the, the versatility and the depth of the offensive line is very important. You know you're going to have injuries in the trenches on both sides of the ball. You know you're going to have injuries. I mean, you look, the Jets invested in Carl Lawson last year. They were lost when they didn't have him. Now, I don't know if he would have made a huge difference in rushing the passer. And the reason why I say that, unfortunately, is because, I mean, he was going by Mekhi Becton like Becton was standing still. That's all we heard about in training camp. And then as it became more and more, it was like, well, wait a minute. Is this means that Lawson's that good or does this mean that Becton is struggling? And as we we know that that Becton was struggling. Okay. So, you know, but nevertheless, they put all their money in that basket. And when he was gone, they had no other answers. So depth on on both sides of the ball in the trenches is what wins football games. It just does. And I've said this a thousand times. I don't care what offense you play. I don't care what defense you play. I don't care what it is. Give me solid play in the trenches and I got a shot. I got a shot. Anthony's in Cedar Grove. Hey, Anthony, you're next on 98.7. Hey, Larry, what's going on, brother? I'd love to show you. You're doing an amazing job tonight. Thank you, sir. No problem. I just wanted to ask you, do you think Obi Toppin's ready to, to take the next step and start on this team? And if so, uh, what do you think we do with Julius Randle? Uh, I think he is getting there, Anthony. I still need to see him. I liked what I saw when he had the minutes. I liked when I saw that he was able to be more versatile at the three and more consistent with the three than he was. We know that he can run the floor. We know that he can attack the basket. That is not a question. We've seen that before. I need to see a little bit more consistent scoring. As I mentioned, he did that. And I like to see him being a little more consistent defensively because I know that's that's the thing that's going to get him on the floor with, with the head coach that he has. Yes, it's going to help that he scores. Yes, it's going to help that he plays with energy. But if he doesn't play defense, Anthony, he's going to be sitting next to Tom Thibodeau. You know what else I also noticed? I also noticed that R.J. Barrett feels a lot more confident. And he's playing, you know, in my opinion, better alongside Obi Toppin rather than Julius. What do you think? I do. I I agree with you, Anthony. And thanks for the phone call and the kind words. I do. Uh, I think R.J. has grown every year. And that's what you, as a Knicks fan, that's what you love and respect about him. Is that he puts in the work and you see the results of that work, okay? You see it. And for him this year to finally uh, average 20 points a game for the season is outstanding. Now, the next step for him is to obviously continue to grow points-wise, add some versatility to his game. He's doing well from three. like to see him make, make some inroads in the mid-range jumper as well. Plus, I need him to start looking for other players. I need him to start making other people better, passing on certain situations, all right? And he does, and he also needs to be a bit more consistent in finishing. He goes up and down. There's the, he'll go through a stretch of games where he finishes really, really strong around the basket on the drive because he gets to the basket. Okay, there's no problem. He puts his head down. He, he gets to the basket. That's not the issue. The issue is finishing, and the issue is when he gets fouled, he's got he's to hit his free throws. But then again, that whole team needs to go to free throw shooting school. The whole team does. 
Uh, Julius Randle, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're gonna do with Julius Randle. I don't know that. I don't know that you don't bring him back. I don't know that that you can uh, move him. I don't know what the market would be for him. I don't know whether you bring him back and see if you can move him at the trade deadline next year. I mean, I don't know what what you, what you do. I do know this. Talking about Joe Douglas and the pressure he's under this year, that Nick front office is under some pressure too. They've got to put forth a little better effort than what they did, better results. Their effort may have been good, but the results weren't. So they have to do a better job from a results effort, results work in what they do with this team because what they did, they still didn't answer the biggest need, which was point guard. They thought they did. They were going to do it by committee. Kimber Walker and Derrick Rose, two injured guards, but if we split the time, we'll be okay. And I get that that was what you did at the last second. But, you know, and I get that all the time, your your top moves don't come through. I understand it. But they got to do a better job this year. And, And listen, Fournier actually was better as the year went on scoring wise. Okay. He showed better. I just think that he would be, he, he just seems to be more of a catch and shoot guy than he is where he's got a, I mean, he can take the ball to the basket on occasion. You know, you've seen him do it, but for the most part, he's better when he's catching and shooting and, and people running picks for him and then leaving him standing there and and the defender doesn't move. And they wonder like, how come he's not shooting? (laughs) Because he knows his shots could get blocked. He's a, he's a guy that's got to run off picks and screens. It just seems like he's a catch and shoot guy. When he's a catcher, when he does that, he's a better player. Aside from these NBA playoffs being known for big-time injuries affecting the situation where games are headed and teams are headed, you talk about Joel Embiid saying he's playing through the pain, but you could see that he was not the same Joel Embiid in the Philly loss. Uh, the fact that Phoenix, and I'm not saying that the Pelicans wouldn't beat Phoenix, but I am saying that it would be, you know, and, and this is a close game. Phoenix is up 2-1 in the series, and this is still a close game, but no Devin Booker is a major, major blow to this team. No Chris Middleton is a major blow to Milwaukee. I mean, Luka Doncic is a blow to Dallas. I mean, injuries have been the talk of this playoff so far. And then... There's the Brooklyn Nets and this what the defensive job that the Boston Celtics have done on KD and Kyrie. After last night's loss, here's what Steve Nash had to say about KD and Kyrie and who both scored 16 points apiece in the loss. Here's what Steve Nash had to say about them. I mean, they both got to be tired. I mean, Kyrie's fasting. And Kevin's uh, had to play 40 plus minutes for five, six weeks after missing six, seven weeks. We need him to play 40 minutes or we could, we wouldn't be in the playoffs or at least in the, we'd be in 10th in the play-in. So I'm sure that's taken a big toll on Kevin. He's carried a huge burden for us for, for weeks on end. You know, Kyrie as well, since he's been playing home and, and on the road and, and, and fasting is, you know, I think it can't be easy. Now coach, Kevin Durant said in the post game that he's just thinking too much. He is get this, ladies and gentlemen. KD is 19 for 52 in the three losses. 19 for
for 52. This is one of the most efficient scorers in the NBA. When I talk about him, I always talk about how efficient he is. He does not have to put up a whole lot of shots to make a whole lot of points. He is efficient. This is struggle. So, Steve Nash, what are you seeing from KD? Yeah, I think it's a bit of everything, you know. Um, <clears throat> clearly, they're loading up on him, sending bodies to him, being physical with him. Um, you know, we, we, you know, as a team, we shot 50% today. Uh, you know, he... I think it's the unforced turnovers. I don't think Kevin has to go off. You know, we, we, we shot a good percentage. We moved the ball. It's just the ones that we just gave up, you know. Poor decision-making, not connecting, simple passes, and they're going the other way. You know, that's, to me, has been the difference in all three games. They're playing him physically. They are, there's always two people on him. They've done, listen, they've done a great job. And everybody has a cure. Everybody has a suggestion about moving the ball and don't let the ball. And he's trying to pass the ball, okay? That's why he's got the turnovers. And some of these turnovers, he's trying to pass it, and they're just blocking the passing lanes because they know where he's going to go. It's it's a tremendous coaching job right now from uh, the Boston coaching staff. It, it really is. It really is. Kyrie Irving, after the game last night, was compared to when he was on the Cavs team that was down – 3-1 against Golden State to come back and win the title. Here's what Kyrie Irving had to say. Diff- different situation, brother. Different situation. Um, you know, uh, being down 3-1 in, in the finals, uh, you know, that, that's a totally different situation than compared to what we're into right now. And I don't even want to compare it uh, just out of respect for what that was uh, for the teammates I had and the journey. Um, and, you know, we have our guys in our locker room. Uh, my brothers are there. And um, you know, this is something that's new for us as a group. And uh, I can individually say, you know, I did this, I did that, but it's a team game, and all I could do is show up tomorrow, be ready for film, and, and get ready for Monday's game. And what's interesting is this is going to be, if memory serves me correct, probably the shortest amount of days off between games so far in this series. Right? They started Wednesday, and they went to – well, they start Wednesday, they went Saturday. Yeah, I think this is because this is really just a day off between games. So this is going to be interesting to see, okay, just how this Nets team comes out tomorrow night. I think, now listen, I've been wrong <laughs> for the games three and four because I expected the Nets to win. I expected them to win at least one of these games at home, and they still have that opportunity. I thought they would come out and win Saturday, to be honest. I thought last night they would come out and win, put Boston on their heels, and now Boston would say, okay, we got to get this one going back and try to, you know, see if we can, you know, eliminate them and not have to come back here. Um, But, and listen, Steve Nash made some adjustments, went to Blake Griffin, gave him some points off the bench. Um, You know, he's trying different things, but until he gets his guys going, this is uh, – I, I don't see how they're going to win this because that's how they are built. And then we find out that Ben Simmons, who there was so much hope for and so much thought thought and, you know, anticipation that he was going to be able to play. Not sure what he was going to be able to give you. Not sure what was going to happen. Not sure, you know, they said maybe 10, 15 minutes. They were hoping that he could give them. 
And there we find out, as sources told our Woj, that after approximately 10 days of pain-free ramp-up following recovery from a herniated disc, his back soreness returned today at the team's practice facility. So the Nets had hoped that Simmons would be able to go tomorrow. He will not be able to play tomorrow night. 1-800-919-3776. Buddha's in the Bronx. Hey, Buddha, you're next on 98.7. Hey, uh, what's going on? How you doing, big bro? I'm doing good, man. What's happening? How was your weekend? Pretty good, pretty good. Just want to say a little rest in peace to the drama king. Another loss in the community yeah. from this uh, so-called flu. <laughs> mm, yeah. But anyway. Mm. Yeah, right? But anyway, um, you know, listen, I just want to talk to the Jets and the Nets with you. Um, sure. Jets, you know, um, I, I saw that report that Anita Marks was talking about with uh, Barnwell talking about the Jets to possibly trade Zach Wilson for um, Kyler Murray. Listen, I believe Kyler Murray, you know, T.O. has a better chance of being invited back to first take than Kyler Murray does to so coming to New York. You try some of this foolishness like that, that guy will go to play baseball. That's number one. Um, I heard you talking with uh, the, the gentleman, Dennis, and he was saying uh, he didn't want sauce. I would say I, I think you might want to reconsider that because uh, how did they go the last time the Jets drafted a, uh, what you call them, shutdown corner with their first pick? I think that went pretty well. Yes, and you're looking at what you got in that division, just in that division alone. In Miami, now you got two people to deal with. You got Diggs. I mean, come on. You got to have somebody to cover those guys. There's a possibility that he might be the best player in the draft. If I was them, I would, I would draft him for with that 10th pick. I would trade it back, see if I could get another second rounder and go back in the first because with the pass rushes and specifically when you talk about Joe Douglas's hit rate on draft picks, you just need as many draft picks as they can get. And, you know, I, I don't know if I want to use that, that four on these pass rushers who got all these different, uh, you know, issues. One guy, you know, his mode is not what it's supposed to be. The next guy, his arms are too short, the box was gone. I, I'm not using that pick on somebody who's not a definite. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep, I do. You know, but anyway. Now, with the Nets, you know, and I, I spoke to you, and I wasn't trying to be the Debbie Downer I spoke to you the last time. I mean, I, and I'm not a Nets fan. I do love KD, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I, I got to be honest with you. Just listen to that cut. Like, when you keep hearing about Kyrie and his brothers and this and that, you cannot tell me that there's some guys in that team that don't resent the choices that he made and, i.e., you know, um, not about the, the, the vaccination, the way that the team said, you know what, down the road, we're going to change the rules to let him come back. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're the owners of that of that of, of the team, you got to you know, sometimes you got to admit you made a mistake. And I love KD to death, but when you look at what happened here, it makes you appreciate LeBron James even more because a guy like Kyrie Irving, I don't care how talented you are, or whatever. LeBron James is one of them dudes that we're not pulling all the same way. It's not going to work. Either you're going to go or I'm going to go. KD with this, you know, this is my brother, this is my boy and all that. This dude done got you. Now when people are talking about you're not the best player in the league anymore and all these other different things, you know, they drafted, not drafted, they traded for Ben Cinnamon. You know, that clearly, we talk about it was a loss-loss trade. It was a Sixers loss a little bit. The Nets lost everything. The guy didn't even play. So, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense to me that you will go back into this next season. If I'm the owner, listen, we, we tried it your way, KD. We did. It didn't work. You, did you see the level of aggression? That Forget about just the, the amount of uh, the coaching, being out coaching. The level of aggression that Boston hit these guys. 
guys went from mm-hmm. the beginning of the series to now is similar to like when the Sixers played the Nets, and they weren't ready for that level of aggression after that trade. Yep. It's not going to work. You cannot have these guys picking a coach. Did you hear what the coach said? He sounded ridiculous, too. He's fasting. He's this. He's... Yo, bro, are you the coach or are you the homeboy? I mean, come on. That's that's why they wanted him in. Thanks for the call, Buddha. That's why they wanted him in. He is he and and listen, I'm not going to say I don't think he does, but I don't really know Steve Nash that well. I don't know him. I do know that there have been times in teams that I have covered over the years where coaches came out to the media and said one thing, but behind the scenes, they just, you know, let let guys have it. Okay, let guys have it. All right. So I don't know if Steve Nash is one of those let guys have it person. Because every time, you know, there's a different face for the media than there is for, you know, behind the scenes and, and, you know, in in the locker room, in their own building, in their own house. But I hear what you're saying. It's 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 not what you want to hear from a coach that's down 03. It's not. It just isn't. But, you know. Then again, what what could he say? Right on the other side, what's he gonna say? He's as shocked as anybody else is probably, because I know they've made adjustments. I know they've tried different things. It's just not working. And we talked about this, Gordon and I, on ESPN New York tonight, Monday through Thursday from ten to midnight, or whatever, following whatever local broadcast we have here on ninety eight seven ESPN. Uh. And I mentioned to him that it looked like Tom Thibodeau went to Brooklyn to talk to Steve Nash about these minutes. And it was night after night, even by Nash's own admission, 40 minutes here, 42 minutes there, 40 minutes here, 39 minutes. I mean, you know. And now with this physical nature of play, he's exhausted by the fourth quarter. There's nothing left. I still think... They will they will muster enough to be able to get a win. I, I can't see them being swept. I just can't. I, I can't see them being swept. I can't. I think for one game they'll be able to pull out a win and send it back to Boston. But if I'm the coach in Boston, okay, my attitude is like let's finish them off. Let's finish them off. We can't let them get any momentum because if these two get hot again, we got problems. The Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.